Well, as you're finding Isaiah 28 in your Bibles, and let's jump in uh, with verse 1, going down through verse 4. Verse 1 down through verse 4. Good to see some of Isaac's family out this evening. Good, good to have you folks. Es un placer tener ustedes con nosotros hoy. Glad you're here. Amen. All right. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word if you're so able. Isaiah 28, and uh, we're going to be looking at the whole chapter, uh, time permitting tonight. But let's look at verse 1 through 4, and uh, that'll give us the idea of the, of the passage and of the message. It says, Woe to the crown of pride, to the drunkards of Ephraim, whose glorious beauty is as a fading flower, which are on the head of the fat valleys of them that are overcome with wine. Behold, the Lord hath a mighty and strong one, speaking of the Assyrian army, which as a tempest of hail and a destroying storm, as a flood of mighty waters overflowing, shall cast down to the earth with the hand. Verse 3, the crown of pride, the drunkards of Ephraim shall be trodden underfoot, and the glorious beauty, which is on the head of the fat valley, shall be a fading flower, and as the hasty fruit before the summer which when he that looketh upon it seeth, while it is yet in the hand, he eateth it up. Well, we're going to begin looking at a handful of chapters that puts the focus on Israel, squarely on Israel at the present time of Isaiah's living. And there are five woes laid out to Israel over the next handful of chapters. And we're going to look at the first of those woes tonight. The word woe in the Old Testament was one of the strongest words that could be declared uh, against a person. Woe was a strong admonition of trouble on the horizon. And so the title of the, uh, the Bible study tonight is this, The Fading Flower of Pride. The Fading Flower of Pride. Now, um, when I give my wife flowers that are cut... All right, they look really pretty. And then they even come with flower food. And uh, we change out the water, and we prolong those things as long as we can. But inevitably, they're, they're going to die. They're going to fade. And you see those flower petals begin to wither up, and uh, they, uh, they become worthless to where you just pitch them. And uh, uh, that's exactly what God is saying here through this analogy with Israel. You've had a great run your pride is causing you as a beautiful flower to fade into an ugly state of worthlessness. And that's what pride does. It, it causes us, when we were once strong in the Lord, to wither into a has-been. And so we're going to look at chapter 28 tonight. We're going to take it apart verse by verse. We've got some really good, good, enjoyable things for all of you Bible students tonight. I think you'll enjoy. Let's pray tonight. God, help us. As we look at this passage, the thrust of the passage is pride, and we know that pride is the root of all sin. Pride is something that we all battle against, something we all fight, something that uh, rears its ugly head in our hearts on a regular basis. And it's something that needs to be suppressed, dealt with, uh, pushed down, pulled out, and Lord, humility, humility needs to grow in its place, perspective and an understanding of who you truly are and who we really are. And so, God, tonight, help us to see through Isaiah 28 where we have pride. And, Lord, help us to see the devastating effects that can come from it. Lord, give us a sharp mind. It's the end of a long day. It's the middle of a long week for many of us. 
And so, Lord, mentally, uh, we're, we're taxed a little, but God, tonight, help us to dial in and understand the Bible and uh, grow thereby. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. The book of Isaiah, in order to be able to understand it, you have to know that Isaiah, as a prophet, he had two responsibilities when it came to his preaching. And when we think of a prophet, generally we think of someone who foretells, foretells, or foretelling what's going to come, the the coming events. And no doubt in the book of Isaiah, as we have seen over the last handful of chapters, there is a lot of foretelling that takes place of the, the great tribulation, or as we know it, the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord, the Jewish day began at 6 p.m. and would run all the way through. And so right off the bat with the Jewish day, you had nighttime and then the daytime. And so the great tribulation is that nighttime uh, followed with the millennial reign, the daytime. And so you see a lot of the day of the Lord talk. There's that future talk, that future talk. And when we think of a prophet, we think of a, a prophecy, prophetic books, we think of foretelling. But the role of the prophet was not only to foretell, it was to foretell, to foretell. What is the difference between foretelling and foretelling? Foretelling was when the prophet just told it just like it was right then, right there. And so here in Isaiah 28 and in the next handful of chapters, Isaiah is dealing with the sin of his people in the present time, there's very little prophecy. There's a little bit of prophecy mixed in, but there's very little prophecy here as we would call it or see it for future events. It's more what happened right there, right then, right now. And, I, and, and Isaiah is addressing here in chapter 28 mostly the ten northern tribes of Israel uh, and secondarily the two southern tribes of Judah. And so uh, it, this chapter is aimed at at Israel and how Assyria will bring them down. And in the next handful of chapters, the, the, the attention will turn more towards Judea and Jerusalem. And so with that as the backdrop, let's jump into chapter 28 tonight and see Isaiah's sermon here aimed at Ephraim or Samaria or Israel, those three terms being synonymous. Let's jump in here. Point number one, point number one tonight, take notes as we go. Notice the crown of pride, the crown of of pride. Look with me at verse number one. Isaiah 28, verse number one. It says, Woe to the crown of pride, to the drunkards of Ephraim, whose glorious beauty is a fading flower, which are on the head of the fat valleys, of them which are overcome with wine. Look down to verse three. The crown of pride, the drunkards of Ephraim, shall be trodden under foot. These folks were wearing pride as a crown on their head. You ladies that were in the ladies life group. I had the the awkward joy of teaching the ladies life group Sunday. It was me and 27 other ladies in the room. Um, we had a great time. We looked at Isaiah or rather a Psalm 73 and we ta- we saw how that Asaph said that his enemies were wearing pride as a chain. They were wearing pride as a chain. Here, uh, the, uh, uh, Isaiah says that the Ephraimites, or those that were of the ten northern tribes of Israel, are wearing uh, pride as a crown. Now listen, uh, we all in here know, as I prayed a moment ago, everyone battles with pride. Raise your hand if you don't ever battle with pride. You don't battle... We don't have to go there, sister. Amen. Uh, Everyone battles with pride. All of us battle with pride. Listen, but the key is that you battle. Amen? You battle. If you ever quit battling with pride, 
then you've just given up and, let, and you're letting pride have its way in your life. Uh, these folks weren't battling against pride. They were wearing pride on their head as a crown. They were going around and flaunting it. They were showing it as we are proud and we are proud to be proud. We do not care that pride is a sin. We think that we're much greater than uh, they thought they were much greater than they truly were. Let me give you an A, B, and a C uh, under this idea of the crown of pride. Notice letter A, their drunkenness. Their drunkenness. Look down, back, uh, look back down at verse number 1 with me. Woe to the crown of pride to the drunkards, the drunkards of Ephraim, whose glorious beauty is a fading flower, which are on the head of the fat valley, of them that are overcome, overcome with wine. Look down at verse 3. It says, The crown of pride, the drunkards of Ephraim, shall be trodden underfoot. Look down at verse number 7. But they also have erred through wine and through strong drink are out of the way. The priests and the prophet have erred through strong drink. They are swallowed up of wine. They are out of the way through strong drink. They err in vision. They stumble in judgment. We see their drunkenness, their drunkenness. In this passage, I behold two types of drunkenness. The first one being spiritual drunkenness, spiritual drunkenness. These folks were drunk on pride. They were drunk on pride. They were full. Another way of saying that is they were full of themselves. They were full of themselves. And we're going to see this more in just a few minutes with a, a, an example out of the book of 1 Kings. But these folks, they thought uh, that they had everything in life figured out. They did not need uh, God. They did not need His help. They did not need His protection. They had alliances. And they had uh, joined in with other armies and other nations and made their pacts and their treaties and had their alliances. And they had protection. They had built up their their own infrastructure and their own armies. And they looked around at what they had. In fact, Samaria, if you study history, Samaria was so well uh, uh, bombarded and so well protected that the folks who lived inside of Samaria believed that their city was impenetrable. It could never be taken down, that no army could ever overtake them. They were drunk on pride. There was a spiritual drunkenness going on here. They did not need God. They were full of themselves. But this drunkenness goes beyond just a figurative uh, uh, being drunk on self or drunk on pride. Isaiah 28 is clear that they had a physical drunkenness problem. They were drunk on alcohol. Drunk on alcohol. Now, um, I don't get the sense that in Bible times that all wine or alcoholic beverage was forbidden, but I do get the sense, or Scripture is very clear, that drunkenness was always forbidden. Drunkenness was always forbidden. By the way, for those looking for a loophole on Christian alcohol, I'll just say this, that the alcohol of today's era is far more um, potent than it was Back then, uh, wine that was uh, fermented wine back then did not carry near the potency or power to intoxicate quite like it does now. Through the process of distillation, they've become very good at making all wine and alcoholic beverages to, for the intent of getting you uh, drunk. And uh, uh, listen, uh, I do not believe it is wise for a Christian to ever put an alcoholic beverage of any type to their lips because that leads to drunkenness that leads to a drunken state in fact 
Uh, Ephesians 5.18 tells the Christian, Be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Um, a long time ago, long, long time ago, I preached a sermon here. It was probably back in 2016. It, it, it was entitled Parallels of Intoxication. And we looked at what alcohol does when we're under its influence. And we looked at what the Holy Spirit is supposed to do when we're under His influence. And we saw that there are several parallels between the two. God does not want you to be drunk on alcohol. It is a forbidden sin uh, for a Christian to put alcoholic beverage to his lips and be controlled by that alcohol. Listen, why were the people of Israel, Samaria, Ephraim, why were they drunk? Because in their success, they had built up great success and they felt like now we can just live the party life. We can live the party life. We've got everything in order. Everything was party, 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 party. And they now were in a drunken stupor on a regular basis. And here Isaiah is calling them out for it. Letter A, we see their drunkenness. Letter B, we see their depravity. Their depravity. Look down at verse number 8. Look down at Isaiah chapter 28. Look down at verse number 8. Now, this is a quite graphic verse. It says, For all tables are full of vomit and filthiness, so that there is no place clean. Wow. They had drunk so much that they're, they're, they're vomiting on their own tables. There's squalor and mire everywhere. And this depravity of their drunken, vomiting state, this depravity had been accepted as the norm. Accepted as the norm. Back in, let's see, 2003, uh, the summer of 2003, I worked for a company named SuperValue. They would have been similar to a Bozudos. How many you know what Bozudos is? They're a food distributor here in the area. You go to the grocery store and you see all that produce that started out in a warehouse and then got shipped to the grocery stores. Super Value, the company I worked for, was the uh, the, the, where, the, the grocery store distributor. So I uh, uh, selected uh, from a slot. It was a manual labor job. I would not be able to do that job in my late 30s. Now, that is a job for a young man. i got to tell you, it was hard hard labor. But I remember one particular day, there was a really nasty storm outside, and I, I think the power went out in the building. And so they sent us all upstairs, because the room we were working in was dark, we couldn't see. They sent us all upstairs to the break room where there were windows, and, and we had about two hours to wait for them to get the power back on. And here I am sitting there, I'm the only Christian in the room, and I'm sitting here with, with a bunch of guys who uh, go to strip clubs on a regular basis and talk about it and, and uh, you, you know, use every word in the English language that they shouldn't use all the time on a regular basis. And I'm sitting there and, and I'm just kind of minding my own business, but they get to talking. And, you know, their talk turned to uh, how they are when they're drunk. And all of the horrible things that have happened to them in their drunken state. They're talking about throwing up in the middle of the night. They're going through all... And I, at one point, I let several of these stories go and I spoke up and said, if that's what being drunk does to you, then why do you do it? And they just looked at me and said, I don't know. I don't know. It had become the norm in their lives. And for the Israelites, drunkenness had become such a norm that vomiting on a table meant nothing to them. Uh, turn over with me in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter number 23. Quickly, Proverbs 23. I really want to try to get through the entire Bible study tonight, so we're going to move quickly here. Look at Proverbs chapter 23. Look at verse number 29. If you have a Bible, try to make it over there for me. I want you to see these verses. 
If anyone ever says to you, oh, it's not a sin to drink, Jesus turned the water into wine. Everyone likes to run to that passage. Jesus turned the water into wine. And so and it's, there's nothing wrong with me having a bottle of wine here and there. Have you ever heard the old wives' tale that uh, it's okay, that it's good for your health to have a, a glass of wine every day? You know that's not true. There's a medical report that came out, um, peer-reviewed medical report that came out just a month or two ago that said that is not true. It's actually bad for your health. So don't let anybody tell you that. Look at verse 29. It says, Who hath woe? Proverbs 23:29. Who hath woe? Who hath sorrow? Who hath contentions? Who hath babblings? Who hath wounds without cause? Who hath redness of eyes? They that tarry long at the wine, they that go to seek mixed wine. Let Look not thou upon the wine when it is red or when it is fermented. When it giveth his color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright, at the last it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. Thine eyes shall behold strange women and thine heart shall utter perverse things. Yea, thou shalt be as he that lieth down in the midst of the sea, or as he that lieth upon the top of a mast, meaning everything's swirling around you, everything's uneven, uh, uh, you, you lose your balance. Uh, they have stricken me, shalt thou say, and I was not sick. They have beaten me, and I felt it not. When shall I awake? I will seek it yet again. These verses describe a drunk, do they not? You're see, uh, this, this person's describing, this man's describing seeing strange women or, or, or seeing loose women while he's drunk and talking in a way that's loose and not having his balance and, and, and doing things or having things done to him and the next morning waking up and having no clue of what even happened the night before. And this is the state that the Israelites were living in uh, right before their captivity into Assyria. We see their drunkenness. We see their depravity. Let her see we see their demotion their demotion look back with me at uh, uh, prop or rather at verse number one of isaiah chapter number 28 isaiah 28 and look at verse number one the bible says woe to the crown of pride of the drunkards of ephraim whose glorious beauty is a fading flower a fading flower which are uh, on the heads of the fat valleys of them uh, that overcome with wine verse two is talking about the incoming army of Assyria that's going to wipe them out. Look here. Behold, the Lord hath a mighty and strong one, which as a tempest of hail and a destroying storm, as a flood of mighty waters overflowing, shall cast down to the earth with a hand. Look here at verse 3. The crown of pride, the drunkards of Ephraim, shall be trodden under feet, and the glorious beauty which is on the head of the fat valley shall be a fading flower and as the hasty fruit before the summer which when he hath looked upon it seeth while it is yet in the hand he eateth it up why did god originally establish the nation of israel it was for the purpose of the messiah to be born so that all nations of the earth could be blessed through the uh, through the loins of Abraham and through the seed of Abraham and and, and here it, it is like you're picking fruit that's unripe and you're picking fruit that's not ready to eat and it has to be munched on before it's ready because they're not letting uh, the birth of Christ come to fruition. Uh, they're not behaving in a way that is comely, that is acceptable for a Messiah to be born. And, and now they have to be scattered. They're going to be demoted. God's going to send the Assyrians to break them up, to, uh, to, to bring them down because of their 
pride. And we see here that their pride, their crown of pride, is going to be their great downfall. I promise you, my friend, Proverbs 29, 23 says, A man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. In the New Testament, in the book of James, the Bible says God resisteth the proud. He pushes away from the proud. He wants nothing to do with the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Listen, you can see this with nations. You can see this with churches. You can see this with individuals. When a nation or a church or a person or a family gets lifted up in pride, God is going to come and Push them down and bring them low. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and He shall lift you up. But if you lift yourself up in the sight of the Lord, He shall bring you down. And Israel here had flaunted their wickedness and their sin and their pride in the face of God. They had put it on as a crown and God says, now you're going to be like a fading flower. We see number one, the crown of pride. Number two, we see their covenant with death. Their covenant with death. Look, uh, Turn over to verse 15. And we're going to cover the whole chapter, but follow me here tonight. Turn over to verse 15 in Isaiah chapter 28. The Bible says, Behold, ye have said, we have made a covenant with death. Covenant with death. And with hell, or Sheol, or the grave, are we at agreement. When the overflowing scourge shall pass through it, shall not come unto us. For we have made lies our refuge, and under falsehood have we hid ourselves. Now, I see here a letter A and a B in this passage. I see letter A, the failure of leadership. The failure of leadership. And let me give you two thoughts below the failure of leadership. There were two types of leaders that let them down. The first one was political leadership. Look with me at verse number 14. Verse 14, the Bible says, Wherefore, hear the word of the Lord. Look here. Ye scornful men that rule this people which is in Jerusalem. Ye scornful men. Who is a scornful person? Someone who is a scorner is someone who is set out for the purpose of leading others to do evil and act foolish. This is next level foolishness. You're not only a fool, you're leading others to be a fool with you. You are intentionally maligning against other people to pull people down into foolishness with you. And verse 14, uh, Isaiah is saying about the ten northern tribes of Israel or Ephraim or Samaria that it would be those who rule over the people. Well, what is he talking about here? Turn over to 1 Kings chapter 16. 1 Kings 16, that's to the left. And by the way, uh, the, the, prof, the book of the prophets line up with the book of the kings and the chronicles. So, um, 1 Kings, 2 Kings. Uh, another name for 1 Samuel is the first book of the kings. And then 2 Samuel is the second book of the kings. And then 1 Kings is really the third book of the kings. And I know that gets confusing, and so they named it the way they did. But go over to 1 Kings, and we see the book of the prophets. They line up with what we're covering right here uh, in Isaiah. 1 Kings chapter number 16, and we find the story of Ahab. King Ahab, uh, the Bible's going to tell us just how wicked he was. And Ahab would be one of the last kings of, um, uh, of Israel. Look at verse number 29. It says there about Ahab, And in the thirty and eighth year of Asa, king of Judah, began Ahab, the son of Omri, to reign over Israel. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel in Samaria, in Samaria 
twenty and two years. And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord. Look at here. Above all that were before him. And it came to pass as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of, of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he took to wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Zidonians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. And he reared up an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. And Ahab made a grove. And Ahab did more. This is an indicting statement right here. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel that were before him. Wow. If you read the kings before Ahab, they were some pretty pretty sinful people. Ahab outdid all the kings before him. Ahab not only did evil, he married one of the most evil women ever to live. And the two of them were quite the duo. They were quite wicked. And so look back at verse 14 of Isaiah 28. This gives us some context to what Isaiah is saying here. Wherefore hear the word of the Lord, ye scornful men, that rule this people which is in Jerusalem. Ahab was a scorner. Ahab was not only, and Ahab wasn't the only one, but Ahab wasn't only being a fool. He was intentionally leading Israel into the worship of false gods. By the way, the god Baal, Baal was the god of fertility. This is the worshiping of sexual immorality. Both fertility of the ground and fertility of the womb. And we see here that he's leading them into a lascivious and godless and pagan lifestyle. Why had Israel made a covenant with death? Why had Israel made a covenant with destruction in the grave? They had done so because their leadership had led them to do so. But it wasn't just their political leadership. It was their spiritual leadership. Look back at verse 7. Isaiah 28, look at verse number 7. It says, But they, they also have erred through wine and through strong drink or out of the way. Look here. The priests, these are the spiritual leaders. The priests and the prophet have erred through strong drink. They are swallowed up of wine. They're out of the way through strong drink. They err in vision. They stumble in judgment. He's saying about his fellow uh, prophets, men who call themselves prophets and share his profession, men who are priests of, of the Levitical priesthood. He's saying of these guys, he's saying these folks are drunk and they, they, they stumble around and they lack judgment and they are leading Israel to have a covenant with death. Go back to 1 Kings. Look at chapter 22. 1 Kings 22. And uh, here we see the um, Asa passes away in Judah. And Jehoshaphat becomes king of Judah. And so Judah uh, has Jehoshaphat. And Israel has Ahab. And the two men get together. And they're looking to go to war against a rival nation. And um, Jehoshaphat is more godly. Uh, than Ahab. Of course, everyone on planet earth was more godly than Ahab. But Jehoshaphat at least had a spiritual bone in his body. He should not have been uh, there with Ahab. But uh, uh, Ahab is trying to get Jehoshaphat to go with him to war, to bring their armies together for war. 
And Ahab, or rather Jehoshaphat, wants to get some counsel. Look at verse 1. Look at verse 1. Uh, Isaiah, or rather, uh, 1 Kings 22. And they continued there, uh, uh, they continued three years without war between Syria and Israel. And it came to pass in the third year that Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, came down to the king of Israel. And the king of Israel, this is Ahab, said unto his servants, Know ye that Ramoth and Gilead is ours, and we be still, and take it uh, not out of the hand of the king of Syria. And he said unto Jehoshaphat, Wilt thou go with me to battle to Ramoth Gilead? And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, I am as thou art, my people as thy people, my horses as thy horses. And Jehoshaphat said unto the king of Israel, Inquire, I pray thee, at the word of the Lord today. Then the king of Israel, Ahab, gathered together, uh, g- gathered prophets together, about 400 men, and said unto them, Shall I go against Ramoth Gilead to battle, or shall I forbear? And they said, these are the prophets, Go up for the Lord, and that Lord is the same Lord of the Bible, for the Lord shall deliver it into the hands of the king. And Jehoshaphat said, Is there not here a prophet of the Lord besides that we may inquire of him? Look at Ahab's response in verse 8. This is telling. And the king of Israel said unto Jehoshaphat, There is yet one man, uh, let's see, Micaiah, the son of Imlah, by whom we may inquire of the Lord, but I hate him, for he doth not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. And Jehoshaphat said, Let not the king say so. Jehoshaphat says to Ahab, he says, "Um, I'm all for war. Let's go down to Syria. Let's take Ramoth Gilead. But can we ask God's men what they think about this? And Ahab says, sure, bring in the prophets of the Lord. 400 men come in and they throw a pep rally for these two kings. Rah, rah, rah. You can do it. You can win. We talk to the Lord. He says, yes. Jehoshaphat looks down and he says, This is a sham. This is hokey. This is not real. These prophets are not really God's men. He turns and looks at Ham and says, Can you get an actual prophet? Can you get a real prophet, not these fake prophets? And Ahab's reply is, There's this one guy, Micaiah, but I hate him because he always prophesies against me. Well, maybe that's because you worship Baal and you don't worship God, right? Why, was, uh, why had Israel, the ten northern tribes, made a covenant with death? Why they made a covenant with a grave? Why were they on a, a path of destruction and pain? Because leadership had let them down. You listening tonight? Political leadership had let them down, but the spiritual leadership had let them down. I look at America, and I see a great dearth of political leadership. And that's not a shot at our president. There's been a great dearth of political leadership for 20, 30, 40 years. I mean, back when character in the White House actually mattered. Now we vote for politicians based on what they're going to put in our pocket and how they're going to help us. And uh, we act like their personal lives don't matter. I wish we could get back to a day where the personal lives of the president and the senators and the mayors and the dog catchers in town mattered. I, I look around at our country and I see a great dearth of spiritual leadership where husbands are drugged to church by their wives. Church is for mom and the kids and, you know, dad goes at Christmas and Easter. 
I look around at our country and men worship money and cars and fame and themselves, really themselves first and foremost. I see a country that's made a covenant with death. I see a country in America that's heading downhill. Where are the faithful men and women who will stand up and say, I want nothing to do with that? I'll I'll take it a step further. I look around at the churches in this country. Isaiah had a lot to say about the prophets of his day. I look around at the preachers of this day, of our day. Preachers of today, they don't preach the Bible. They tickle ears and make people feel good. Hey, you know what? Every now and then when you come to White Oak Baptist Church, you ought to get your toes stepped on a little bit. Right, Brother Sean? It ought to be uncomfortable for you a little bit. You ought to feel like maybe, you know, I'm coming after you. I've had people say to me, Pastor Lejeune, do you have my house bugged? How did you know? How did you know? I don't have anybody's house bugged. I tell you what, I have the Holy Spirit of God telling me what to preach. Amen? Um, But we have preachers today that don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. They just want to preach a soft little ditty and collect a paycheck. We need preachers that grow some hair on their leg and preach the truth. Preach it with a a tear in the corner of your eye. Preach it with compassion. But preach the truth even when it's hard and inconvenient and uncomfortable. And I I see that the, the preachers of this country have made a covenant with death. The same thing was true in Isaiah's day. And he said, listen, I see your crown of pride. I see your covenant with death. Number three... Notice that he, or let me give you letter B quickly. He, he points out, uh, we, we're looking at their covenant with death, their, their failure of leadership, letter B. Notice their fa- the falsehood and lies, the falsehood and lies. Quickly, verse 15 of Isaiah 28. Turn back to verse 15. We're not going to get through the message tonight. That's okay. We'll, um, we'll have part two. I'm, I'm going to tease for you the second half of the sermon before we go. But look at verse 15. The Bible says, Because ye have said we have made a covenant with death and with hell... Look here, are we at agreement? When the overflowing scourge shall pass through, it shall not come unto us. For we have made lies our refuge, and under falsehood have we hid ourselves. I made reference a few minutes ago that the Israelites believed Samaria to be impregnable, that it could not be conquered and and tackled and beaten. They were lying to themselves. I look around at Americans, and I see Americans who seem to believe that we are invincible, that somehow our economy can't be toppled, and that somehow American exceptionalism and greatness is going to be here forever. And that I'll tell you, I'll take a step further with Christians. I see Christians who somehow believe that the rapture is going to happen before the church in America is persecuted. You don't know that. You don't know that. You know there are Christians in the Middle East that get their heads chopped off and they get hung on a regular basis. Jesus isn't coming back and saving them, is He? Why do we think that somehow we deserve Jesus to come back and save us from some kind of persecution? Christians need to wake up and quit living under a rock and believing that somehow they're above uh, suffering and pain and, and hurting and persecution. My friend, falsehood and lies 
will one day be uncovered, and I don't want to be living under, uh, standing on some uh, refuge or standing on some rock of lies uh, that, that really is uh, 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 quicksand, and, and I've been deceived all this time. I, I don't want to build my house on a foundation that will crumble. I want my foundation to be on the Lord Jesus Christ. Covenant with death. And uh, you are setting yourself up with death when you begin to believe uh, uh, and live by a set of lies. That's exactly what Israel was doing here. They believed everything was okay. They believed Assyria could not conquer them. They believed that, hey, we can have our drunken parties all the time. We can live the party life. We can live it up and have fun. Isaiah says, not so fast. You're, you're living by a set of lies, and it's all going to come tumbling down on your head. And now we know that's true. Assyria carried them away into captivity. Next week, we're going to hop in and look at... Um, some of my favorite verses in Isaiah. Let me give you a preview here. Look with me at, I'm not going to give you the point because I don't want to spoil it. But let's look at a couple of verses here. and We're going to, we're going to shut it down tonight. Look with me at verse number, uh, verse number 10. Isaiah 28, verse number 10. It says, For precept must be upon precept. Precept upon precept. Line upon line, line upon line. Here a little and there a little. Look down at verse 13. But the word of the Lord was unto them precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line. Here a little and there a little, that they, may, they might go and fall backwards and be broken and snared and taken. I believe that Isaiah is giving us the answer to living a successful life uh, for God in these verses, he's telling us the importance of Scripture and how we must hang our lives on Scripture. It must be the bedrock under our feet. So we're going to pick this thought up next week and talk about how to conquer pride and how to live a life that pleases God um, uh, and, and how this was laid out for Israel. Now, they ignored it. I hope we don't ignore the message. Come back next week and we're going to look at Thoughts 3 and 4, and we're going to talk about recovery, um, and we're going to talk about a coming judgment and how to get on the right side of that judgment out of Isaiah chapter 28 next week. All right, let's stand together to be dismissed. Thank you for coming out. Don't be a fading flower, all right? Be a flower in the Lord that blossoms. Be that tree planted by the river of righteousness that brings forth fruit, and uh, that will please God.